days that define your story beyond your life. Welcome to 5-Minute Arrival. The podcast where we look at the film Arrival five minutes at a time. I'm Robert. I'm Sarah. Any questions? Where they want, where they're from, why they're here. This is the priority. Our priority today is minute six to ten of Arrival, which began in the classroom. We are behind Louise looking at six students. There's a lot of Apple product placement. Like every one of them has an Apple laptop. Yeah. But they go to a nice college, right? So most of those students probably would have an Apple Mac. Right. <laughs> Sometimes that could be just a coincidence. But yeah. Two phones have gone off. Louise asks, any news you want to share? And a student asks, Dr. Banks, can you turn the TV to a news channel? And I'm going to shout Louise as another phone goes off. And I got to say, this classroom is really cool. Because she yeah. moves one of the whiteboards out of the way. It's one of those classrooms where it has multiple boards that slide around. And she slides the middle one out of the way and there's a giant TV behind it, which is really nice. thing that I noticed about her in the scene is she comes across in her mannerisms, her speaking, her clothing as someone who's just lost her daughter. Like she seems a bit out of it, but she's mm-hmm. not out of it because of the news, because she's not even paying attention to the news, which is why she's there in class in the yeah. first place. So it kind of reminded me of me with the casual dress and the just showing well, up like Also, hey. <laughs> watching this again, I I feel like in the moment she already is sort of remembering what's going on, mm-hmm. even though her brain hasn't been rewritten yet to yeah. do that. But like as this is happening, she's like, oh, it's that morning. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so she's just kind of – she doesn't care as much as the other people do. She's just kind of there, but also goes to, yeah, the suggestion of grief is that she is someone who's not really, either way, she's not 100% right. But we get a nice shot because we get a lot of shots of people looking at the camera. When she turns the TV on, we're not looking at the TV, we're looking at her and the students. And then she actually steps so that she's right in front of the TV, right in front of the camera. As the news comes on, the first news report says, Police have already set up a blockade here around the area. As you can see, we've got just about as close as we can, but unfortunately, Montana right now is on complete lockdown. We still haven't seen the ship, of course, because we're looking at Louise, but we know the ship is in Montana. It's hard to watch it without thinking about lockdowns now. It's like you just hear the word lockdown, and you're in 2020. Which means everyone's going to be there pretty soon, right, and having a party. Yeah, that's what you do on lockdown, right? Mm -hmm, Yeah. You invite everyone over for Thanksgiving and then you kill people because yeah. it's America and you can do what you want. We also have seen just recently as we're recording this that when a weird object shows up somewhere, people don't care much except to just retweet it. Yeah, I feel like that's pretty much how everything is now. You just find your side of whatever it is and uh-huh. then you just start tweeting and retweeting with the people who agree with you. Or if you're feeling argumentative that day, then you can fight with the ones who it's disagree with you. Strange but... monolith shows up in Utah. People are like, oh, okay, must be 2001. Or it's yeah. an art project, whatever. And then they just tweet it and move on to the next thing. Yeah. But then it disappeared, and then one showed up in Romania. Well, apparently it was dismantled. We do we do well, have yeah. shots of it. didn't actually thing. disappear. It wasn't Some like guys it. took it down, David but they Copperfield. don't seem to be the people who put it there. But then it showed up in Romania. But then one showed up in Romania. And then one also showed up in Northern California. Oh, is there a third one now? And Oh, I missed that. And Where'd she go? In the article <laughs> I read, yeah, people are speculating that it's a marketing. Oh, yeah. But, but for, what? for Yeah. <laughs> New iPhone? I don't know. Yeah. Or if it's because we're recording this before it comes out, if that is, if it is the arrival of our alien leaders. Yeah. 
Thank you for letting our show continue. For <laughs> talk about these fictional aliens. We love you, alien leaders. <laughs> the second news report says the object apparently touched down 40 minutes ago, just north of I-94. We're waiting to hear if this is perhaps an experimental vessel or... Hold on, I'm learning that more objects like this have landed in as many as eight other locations around the world. And we will find out later that it is 12 locations. Not spaced evenly. Well, because you can't. (laughs) I guess you could, but... There's a really long video. It's like two hours long on YouTube. I think it was a guy actually involved with the film where he's showing how the language stuff works, how the designs of it work. You can figure out if, if the language thing is a question. It has this one particular piece that stretches into the middle of the circle. And he's showing how mathematically you can match up how to make new words with these things. But one of the other things he did briefly is he tried to match the 12 locations to some sort of pattern on the globe. Yeah. And couldn't do it, even though he's doing all this weird complex math. I'm pretty sure the locations are sort of random for the movie. Yeah. Plus, it helps with the alien aspect. I'll have to check out that video. I wonder if it's the same guy you did one for, I think it was Game of Thrones. I don't know. I think it helps that we can't figure out a pattern. Yeah. Because it makes it seem more alien. They're not distributed by national capitals. Right. Like Independence Day. They're not all over the place like signs. Where they just have hundreds of them. In the original story, it is a lot more than 12. It's, uh, where is it? 112 sites. Nine of them in the U.S. But I'll get to that later in two minutes. So is 12 just simpler for movie? And 12 is just obviously 12, 12 apostles, yeah. 12 signs in the zodiac. We'll get to the numerology yeah. later. Okay, cool. In this episode. The person says, yes, can we? This is from a site in Hokkaido, and we cut to just the students for this. As the news continues, this is worldwide. It is happening right now. And then the alarm sounds as we cut to an angle from the back of the class to include Louise and finally the TV. And Louise says, okay, um, I'm sorry, class is dismissed. And we cut to outside. There's a security guard, students coming out of the building. The guard is on the Pavilion Maximilian Caron. This is at the University of Montreal. The building across the way that we get a good shot of, and we see again later, is Pavilion Lionel Gruel. We could just assume this is the building they picked because there's a nice courtyard in front of it. However, I looked it up and found that Lionel Gruel is a French-Canadian Roman Catholic priest and historian or was, and he is a specifically a Quebec nationalist. He promoted the idea that New France was superior to the British-ruled Canada, and he was a big proponent of reviving the use of French in Quebec. So, in addition to our thing about Portuguese and language divisions around, like, kingdom lines, this is another thing where language is specifically referenced by what could be a random passing detail. So I'm hoping they were clever enough that this is deliberate. They're showing up in places. Uh-huh. Here that, yeah. <laughs> because that's cool. Just a random building that no one's going to know unless you're from Montreal. Yeah. That this building means something. The camera cranes up so that we can see students and Louise coming out of the building below the guard and looking up at jets that we hear but don't mm-hmm. see yet. And the crowd is heading north to the garage Louis Colline. Which, that wasn't as interesting. But the building that they focus on for a moment and that we see again later had an actual possible meaning. And then we're in front of Louise in the garage. I would nitpick, because you'll learn I obsess about locations when possible. She is walking. They were walking north. She is now walking south in the garage. So she should have come in at the other end of the garage. But. Yeah, and that's the kind of thing I will never, ever, ever notice. <laughs> I don't see stuff. When we cut to her, she's near a pillar with a number on it. I'm like, did they pick that pillar for a reason? 
and I found some movie with that title, but I couldn't figure out what that movie was really about other than a ghost. So I couldn't tell if it had any connection or if it's deliberate. I like to assume things are deliberate or if not, that's just interesting to know. Yeah. If you live, if you go to the University of Montreal and you're like, hey, this is that parking lot pillar. Right. <laughs> go take a picture of it. Then we're behind her. She walks into the uncovered part of the lot. A pair of fighter jets fly by, which we see them this time. And we get a car pulling out of a space that hits another one that's passing by. The classic movie thing with natural disasters or with any big event that's happening is you have to show that chaos. When in reality, the chaotic situations that happen tend to be more slow moving and tend to feel more still. Yeah. But that doesn't really... I mean, you could do cool eerie still shots for, for a film, and I'm sure films have done that as well. But you tend to get more that whole chaos where everyone's running into each other and screaming and cars are hitting each I other because they're not paying attention. The unfortunate thing is when you try for the slow, you get signs. Mm. Where they think just yeah. showing the circles in the field from overhead is going to yeah. freak us out when we all know that real crop circles were made by a bunch of drunk guys with boards attached to their feet. <laughs> so you have to have something happen. And th- this yeah. is a, the car accident is a nice way to like, we, we could be calm in this moment. It's just mm. people walking, but then you get yeah. that jarring accident and planes flying by and it's like, we're not, we don't get to calm down. I'm you wondering know. how many other films have that car accident thing because i have such a terrible memory it but i feels swear like I've a lot seen, yeah. i forgot to check if this is even on the yeah. tv tropes page for it or something but we get the drivers yelling at each other you're an idiot you drove right into yeah. me you just ruined my car and that too because that usually doesn't happen during car accidents no. you just need to make it chaotic yeah. people are usually stunned and then they're usually oh, like tv car accidents people yell at me like hey are you okay do you have insurance? That's after they've calmed down for a few minutes. But yeah, movie accident. And they're in the driveway on this parking lot that's being evacuated. They should pull back into their spaces, calm down, get insurance from each other. <laughs> Meanwhile, Louise goes to her car, a Toyota Prius, so a hybrid. I also think that's deliberate. Or she's just a college professor. Yes. No, I'm just kidding. But I, I mean, we, we had her daughter's costume, which was part cowboy, part horse. Now we get her driving a hybrid car. He opens the door. We don't see her get in yet because two more jets fly over, very low and loud, and Louise watches them go by. And then as a news interview begins, it says, for now, we're simply asking for cooperation while authorities assess the object. We cut to inside the car, but we are looking through the back window, so we're getting another instance of framing things in a rectangle or through a window, which happens a lot in this film. And the interviewer says, so you're saying it's not ours. Do we even know if it's from Earth? The interviewee says, we're still collecting information, we're coordinating with other countries, we're not the only ones to have one of these in our backyard. Louise arrives home, she lives at 35, oh shoot, it's French, Chemin de Lille, de Lyle, it would be Lyle because it's an island, uh, on Lyle Cadou, which is 25 miles from the university. The car arrives in the driveway and she parks and just kind of sits there. The interviewer says, is this some sort of peaceful first contact? Why send 12? Why not just one? And the movie kind of lets the question linger. And we have the speculation, the whole new speculation that starts the 24-hour news cycle mm-hmm. once anything happens, where it's like, why is this real? You know what this movie's missing? I'm trying to think mm-hmm. of one that includes it, is the fake news part. I don't mean to use that term. I'm yeah. so sorry. <laughs> but like that part where people on Twitter would be like, I heard that it's the Arabs. A guy, a friend of mine told me that, and they hear like fa- completely oh, right, made up right. things that's just wrong information. We don't get any of that. Well, now we just give those, well, they have their own stations. <laughs> it's Max OAN. 
Do you know OAN and doesn't have any advertisers? That's not suspicious at all. <laughs> So this anyway. is this, this is where I had my numerology notes because in the original it's 112 sites. In the original it's 112 sites, nine in the U.S. 112 is what's called an angel number, which represents a solid base for the future, new beginnings expected soon. And nine is a number for completion, but not finality. It's cyclical. Unlike 12, which is considered like completion and perfection, it's something that is complete and final. So I think the filmmakers went with 12 because it's the more, it's the number most in the audience would find meaningful. Right. But nine would have been meaning- more alien and been yeah. interesting, especially, and it should have been seven because they're heptapods. If they formed numbers how we did, they would count in a number system that's base seven. Yes. That's fine. They didn't think that through. Thinking. Does 12 have the most religious significance? I mean, obviously in Christianity, in astrology, which isn't a religion, but a lot of people study it and practice it, and it has roots in, you know, the culture. Yeah. I'm not sure about Judaism. You'd probably know better because yeah. of, yeah. <laughs> and what about Islam? The, uh, Islam also believes in the contents of the Old Testament, so they would also have 12 tribes. Yeah. yeah. I guess that would make sense if you're trying to have that yeah. specific emotional-like resonance. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's a specific religious resonance. It's also a cinematic resonance. Twelve is what we get in movies a lot. Yeah. So it's going to be, that's a number we all know has meaning, even if we don't remember what mm. it is. So then Louise finally turns off her car, gets out, and she's on the phone. Says, yeah, I know. I saw that too. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I don't know, Mom. I'm watching the same news coverage you are. And we get a reverse as Louise enters her house. And she says, well, Mom, please don't bother with that channel. How many times do I have to tell you these people are idiots? That's when we get our veiled reference to Fox, which it could be anything and the listener or the watcher could decide what it is. They're just vague enough so that if you like Fox News, you're like, yeah, they're talking about CNN. But I actually don't think that's no, true. No, I think I they mean, mean Fox she, Well, also, she's a college professor who drives a hybrid. I yeah. think we have enough evidence that she's not like a big Fox News watcher who's just <laughs> telling it, her mom to turn on MSNBC. But it's MSNBC. also, in a way, they could be going for an audience outside of the U.S., of course. So they don't necessarily want to say Fox News. Oh, no, no. So I'm not saying they should even say it. I'm just saying be, we have being a, vague is nice because no matter where you are, you know there's a news source that sucks. Yeah. But there's a – it's a pretty clear veiled reference. And interesting, just in the few years since the film was released – Fox has actually lost a lot of viewership, yeah. especially in the last year. Just read an article about that yesterday, most immediately post-election, and it's not just OANN. Fox viewers are going to Newsmax. Hmm. So they're leaving their propaganda machine for one that's just purely and entirely propaganda with no journalistic standards yeah. whatsoever. Because... If we have a 24-hour news cycle, then I guess we can pay people to make sure they tell us exactly what we want to hear, regardless of whether it's rooted in reality or not. Unlike what we see in a moment here, where she is flipping through channels to see multiple types of coverage and get an actual idea of what's going on. What do people want in reality? No, they want to turn to the channel. They want to hear what they think it is. And all the news stations here in these minutes, though, do seem to share a common perspective. 
There are a few differences between the clips, but mostly you're seeing shared information just across different news sites, which you don't really see in real life. (laughs) Right immediately you might, because certain stations might be the only ones with footage, and so each station would show that. That's true. They would all show the same footage. And there's 12 locations. A few of them are kind of remote, so it's going to take a while for them to get everywhere. As I'm watching these minutes and it's flipping through the different news stations, the calm theory for this episode is agenda setting theory, which I reserve the right to use in future episodes, (laughs) even though I'm introducing it here, because one, it's my favorite theory. And the reason why it's my favorite calm theory is because... I like things that are very practical and I can see, like you can actually watch it and see it in action every day, both in Mm. terms of how it works, how it's enacted through news and through mass media. And also, sadly, unfortunately, especially recently, you can see the effects that it has on real life people and their relationships with, with others. Little background. Agenda setting theory states that the typical person can only focus on about five issues at any given time because time and mental energy are scarce resources. And so obviously we can only consider so many things in a day. Breaks it down into three types of agendas. There's the personal agenda, the public agenda, and the media agenda. Your personal agenda includes the issues that you personally care about and think about. The public agenda is the average of those concerns among Mm. a group of people. And then you have the media agenda, and that's where these news stations would assign importance to issues and determine which ones to talk about, how long they're going to talk about them, which then shapes the public agenda. So the basic hypothesis of the theory is this. Over time, the media agenda will then shape the public agenda. One way that we've seen this, or a huge way that we've seen this, is through Trump, right? He tweets, and then everyone talks about his tweets for the next 24 hours. So one of the things that he's been masterful at, probably the only thing he's been masterful at, is being able to shape a narrative and have people discuss the narrative that he wants to discuss. And that's the big reason why he got elected, because of 16 or 17 Republican candidates that ran in the primary, he alone had 39% of the news coverage. And this was early on. And so when people kept hearing about it and thinking about it, and then we saw in that documentary, it became like a huge underground kind of meme thing to support Trump. But anyway, that's a way that you can use like social media to create a public agenda. Agenda setting occurs in three ways. The first level is just that the media tells us what to think about. So if we're the average person who sits down to watch the daily news and certain stories are covered, they're telling us what we should think about because that's what they're airing. The media essentially is a mediator between the outside world and then the pictures in our heads. But this was kind of like early stage agenda setting. Level two went a bit further and states the media tells us which attributes of issues are most important. While the first level of agenda setting demonstrates that the media tells us what to think about, the second level is saying it actually tells us how to think about it. So not just what to think, but how to think about a given issue. I think on that, there was a specific example related to something we already mentioned, the Mm -hmm. monolith thing. The New York Times article about it being dismantled and taken away by Mm -hmm. some guys. The first post I saw about that was like, here's what actually happened to that monolith. As if, like, they had the final word on what it was, what happened to it, and how it got, like, it was 
They had no explanation for where it came from. The implication of the story was these were guys who did not put it there. They just didn't like it, so they took it down. And so they're putting actually in their description when they didn't have any definitive information about where it came from or what it was. Yeah. And part of this selection process, or how, say, the New York Times discussed that particular story, is known as framing. Mm. So media framing, a big example of this over the summer would be how do you cover a Black Lives Matter protest? Do you call them protests or do you call them riots? How do you refer to police officers? How do you refer to just... You're going to frame, like the language that you use in news stories is going to frame how people consider. And that one was problematic in that technically rioting is defined by police. Correct. And so once the police use that term, news people will feel an obligation to use that term. Yeah. And the press frames people too, especially political figures. In 2016, we've had this too. But just understanding the Trump voter, like Trump lost by 7 million vote, well, more than 6 million votes at this point. And when Trump won, everything was about understanding the Trump voter. How did he beat you? And now that Uh he lost by over 6 million votes, it's like understanding the Trump voter. How did, and it's this narrative around all the real people being the people in these small little towns that are Mm -hmm. your real Americans and all those millions and millions of people who live in cities are just coastal elites. This is media (laughs) framing, right? And so it's impossible to report stories without emphasizing certain attributes. I mean, we're going to show images and we're going to use language. Yeah. So inherently, you're going to do these things. Which is things part of what this movie will be about. For better or worse. Yeah. <laughs> the language framing, you pick matters. Framing is not optional. The third level is the media is telling us which issues go together. Everywhere a story is placed on a web page or in a newscast is going to help establish those connections. And then looking beyond that, who sets the agenda for the agenda setters? Who is essentially running the show that is deciding that these are the stories that you need to hear? And this is how we need to talk about those particular issues. Large corporations, moneyed interests, of course, is a big part of that. And some more recent research using agenda setting theory showed that disturbingly fake news, not to use that term, but fake news appeared to exert at least some influence, not just on people, we know that, but appear to exert at least some influence on the agenda of more credible news organizations. Even within a news organization, that was the thing that the the Daily Show is the one that promoted this the first time where Fox News technically had shows on the air that were considered news. Right. And shows on the air that were considered entertainment. What they would do is they would say something on their entertainment show in the morning, and then on their news show, they would say, people are saying, and would comment on it as if it was something that came from somewhere else. Right. When it came from Cop. the people yeah. in the studio. <laughs> like down the hall. And that's a very Trumpian thing. A lot of people say, a lot mm-hmm. of people think, people agree with me about that. Yeah. <laughs> Partisan media, such as political talk radio and websites, hold influence every time you visit social media or use a search engine. There's an algorithmic gatekeeper that filters the information and decides what you'll see. The Social Dilemma documentary, even though I didn't really love it as a documentary because of how it was put together, does talk about that. If you don't know anything about that, it's it's a useful documentary. Yes, exactly. If you have more of an interest in this topic or how 90s 24-7 24-7 cable news destroyed America. Now you, <laughs> you can go back to pump up the minute. Oh, yeah, our previous show. We talk a lot about that. Moving 
moving on for now. Louise finishes her phone call with her mother. Mm-hmm. Then we actually get an interesting shot from outside the window of Louise's house as she's standing by the window just looking out. We keep hearing more news coverage uh, around eight hours after landing. There are still no signs of what might be called first contact. Now, the objects measure at least 1,500 feet tall, and this is when we get to actually see some news coverage. KPJS 6, Helena News, it's a reporter and some military guys behind him. The title says Strange Craft in Montana. The crawl is nice and vague. It says to make their final determination, heavy traffic reported as I-94 temporarily closed from Billings to Miles City which is a 144-mile stretch, which is 12 times 12, which is nice. I'm starting to think all of these little things are very deliberate, yeah. and that's going to be problematic for me because I'm going to pay way too much attention to Yeah, them. and when it's numbers, that's when I actually do pay attention. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> Now, if they'd said 145-mile stretch, I'd be like, that's a little on the nose, but they just happened to give one. I'm like, that's nice. <laughs> and they say, two are reported to have penetrated Russian airspace as she switches channels to MSBC. It is 4.47 p.m. Central Time, and it's been eight hours. So, yeah, that would make sense. She had an eight o'clock class, I guess. Yeah. Well, we don't know what time zone she's in. It's an air base. It says, breaking news, Russian troops mobilize, and the crawl is unrelated. To be final, with soy taking a particularly hard hit, declining over 10% for the second consecutive day, live cattle something. <laughs> so, some farm report. But this is the, no, this isn't the news out of Helena. I don't know where this is supposed to be from. But they're showing, they cut two shot of tanks and says one in Siberia, the other off the coast of the Black Sea. And that's when we get Louise sitting on the couch with her wine glass watching TV. And we're starting to get an idea of the locations. She switches channels to HWI, where it says UFO sightings across globe, and it has a map. As it says, suspended above the ocean, so far there are 12 unidentified objects spread across the globe. There's no obvious logic to their locations and no evidence that the ships are even cuts off. But I would point out here the locations, because in the promotional materials for the film, they put out posters of each location. They are Montana, the U.S., Venezuela, China, but put an asterisk there, Siberia, Black Sea, as the film just said, Pakistan, Sudan, Sierra Leone, Hokkaido, Japan, Greenland, Devon, U.K., and Australia? On this map, it looks like Australia. The poster was of the ocean. It's the Indian Ocean. So it's off the coast of Australia. And she switches the channel to a special report from the White House. But I would point out the location posters. Because this is a thing. The China poster was a Hong Kong skyline with the Pearl Orient Tower from Shanghai photoshopped in. Do we know how that happened in the first place? No, because they called it a error by a third-party vendor. But there were already complaints. People didn't like it. There was a hashtag, Hong Kong is not China, going around. And it was a bit of a backlash. And then they replaced it with Shanghai, yeah. which then pissed people off even more because you didn't put the Pearl Tower into Hong Kong. You put Hong Kong in Shanghai. <laughs> yeah, and some even went as far as to call for a ban on the film mm-hmm. or boycotting the film because of this. There were Facebook pages dedicated. <laughs> Did you see the fake pictures? This? We should put some on the Instagram because there were great pictures where it was like a picture of London with like the Houses of Parliament and Big Ben and then the Eiffel Tower is next oh, to it. Yeah. <laughs> All these weird buildings that are nowhere near each other, just in the same shot. They were great. 
One of the comments by a Facebook user said, the appearance of the Oriental Pearl Tower in Hong Kong was wrong, so you rectified it by keeping the tower and replacing the city of Hong Kong with Shanghai, <laughs> so Hong Kong's the wrong part here. <laughs> and then, of course, because social media again, then other people were making fun of the commenters, accusing them of overreacting or having, quote, glass hearts, which is a Chinese phrase referring to fragile egos. So uh, Already a communication problem before the movie even comes out. <laughs> One could almost think they did it on purpose, but they really shouldn't go after China if they're going to do it, though. Yeah. They should have done that. With I'm like guessing they didn't no, do it I don't on think yeah. it purpose. <laughs> I'm wondering if it was not so much a problem in the design, but the vendor using pre-existing images, possibly one that was already photoshopped, and they didn't yeah, even know. Didn't really, yeah. Like, they bought an image that already had the Orient Tower photoshopped in, thinking it was Hong Kong, or thinking it was Shanghai because it had that tower in it. I don't know. Either way, it was a problem. They fixed it by replacing it with Shanghai. Which I think the movie does tell us it's in Shanghai, or at least the location on the map is Shanghai. We see a better map later, I believe. Louise takes a drink, changes the channel, says it may be unmanned. Regardless, we have a protocol for scenarios like this. And I like this moment because then she's in the bed, and we get a shot from the bed of the TV. And it's foreign news coverage. She's not even watching mm -hmm. stuff. I mean, she might speak another language. We can assume she does because yeah, she's, she's a linguist. But it doesn't have subtitles for us. It's military vehicles and stuff. It's in Russian. And then we get shot Louise in bed. We get the news again. CNAC. It is 2.12 a.m. Eastern. Venezuela live. And there's a crowd in the streets. And I love this shot. This is the one that reminded me of some of Signs mm -hmm. news coverage because so much of that is about them watching what's on the TV. That I think this does better is it's this crowd gathering near this thing that they can barely see because it's not lit up. It's just up yeah. in the sky in the dark and you barely see it. So it's a nice shot. And then we get Louise in bed. She's asleep. She wakes up, fell asleep with the news on. And we get a reverse shot of the TV from the other side of the bed and it's a crowd scene. And we cut back to the university, the building of Louis Gru as people are coming out of Maximilian and Corona. Again, so back to the university. So the, the this segment gets wrapped up in that bill for me. Yeah. The long shot of her sleeping as the riots on the TV are yeah. in the background is a really great shot. And it does make me think about, just even in the day-to-day, -day, like mm -hmm. it made me think of Peter Singer's book, The Life You Can Save, because in it, it's really an appeal for people to be more engaged and involved and help other people. but it also includes some research, right? If you see someone who's starving in front of you, you'll probably offer them something to eat. Not necessarily if you walk by them in your home. We see people don't do that either. Yeah. If we can differentiate them. But if someone you knew was starving or if someone you pat like really looked like they were in a bad way, you'd probably help them out. Especially if doing so wouldn't cause any harm to yourself. Yeah. But in reality, we know that people are suffering all across the world. Horrible things are happening. But we view it through a screen on a television or it's not someone that we personally know or love. So we just block it out as if it wasn't real. Meanwhile, if they took that same person out of that scenario and stuck them, say, in your classroom, your teacher, you would probably offer them a granola bar, see if they were okay. Yeah. And so the thing is, how is it any more like morally just when we know that things are happening and we don't do anything to try to solve them when if only the location moved, we would do something to help them because 
they would be in our line of sight. So just this idea, I mean, not that obviously Louise can do anything to stop riots with an alien invasion, just the idea of like long shots of people sleeping while the world kind of burns outside. And well, even the way people. the setup of this movie, the ship in the U.S. is in Montana. Most yeah. people in the U.S. are only going to see this on the news. Yeah. And then the ships just leave. They don't know what happened. <laughs> For most of the world, this isn't an interesting thing. It just goes away. But we'll get more of that as we go along. In the meantime, as you wait for the next episode, if you want to hear more from us, you can hear those previously mentioned Pump Up the Minute, where we talk about the movie Pump Up the Volume and get very political and have a lot of social commentary. That was in four-minute segments, so similar to this show, we're talking about more than just one minute at a time. Or you can hear Life as a Playlist, which is a show I've been having all kinds of fun with over the past few months. Sometimes I tell autobiographical stories, narratives about experiences I've had growing up, sometimes social commentary, political commentary, all associated with top 40 music. And you can follow Life as a Playlist on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yeah, that just happened. Thank you for listening. Follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at 5-Minute Arrival. Or go to lemmingdrops.com for links. I used to think this was the beginning of your story.